podcast is brought to you by Nova Southeastern University's Fischler School of Education and Human Services. The Fischler School has the largest graduate school of education at an accredited university, serving more than 14,000 students each academic year in some 55 cities across the United States, plus approximately 40 other countries. Hello, this is Dr. Marilyn Gardner with the United States Distance Learning Association. Today's podcast title is Teaching Public Speaking Online, and we are thrilled to have Dr. Everett Coram here today. Thank you for joining us. My pleasure. I'd like to introduce you to Dr. Coram. Dr. Coram currently teaches at the American Public University in West Virginia. He is Program Director of Humanities, Philosophy, and Religion. He's also taught at the University of Phoenix. He received his Ph.D. from the University of Kansas in Theater and Media Arts. And if you had an opportunity to look at his resume, you would see pages of publications, presentations, grants, and honors that he has received. So we're thrilled to have you here today. Thank you again for joining us. Well, you're welcome. I'm delighted to be here. And I might also mention that I'm married to a radio broadcaster. So this is kind of something that I've experienced once or twice before, too. So you've practiced a little (laughs) with her. You bet. I guess my first question would be, how did the public speaking class actually come to fruition? In 2006, the university came to me and asked what we would need to have in order to present a, an Associate of Arts degree in communication. We already offered several classes, uh, ethics in communication, intercultural communication, interpersonal communication, mass communication, and one other that eludes my memory right now. I looked at all of those and benchmarked against a number of other universities in our core market and discovered that the one class that seemed to be missing from our offering was public speaking class. And the question naturally arose, can you create an online public speaking class? Well, from my background and my training, the usual answer to that is when pigs fly. It just can't be done. At least that's the prevalent thinking. And several years ago, when I worked at another institution, uh, an administrator asked me a question. We were considering creating an online class in theater and acting for the young students that I taught. And I said, I don't see how we could do that. And the administrator looked at me and asked one of those questions that immediately reorders your thinking about everything. She said, do you mean to tell me if we had Patrick Stewart up there on that screen, you couldn't think of an intelligent question to ask him? Well, of course I could think of many intelligent questions to ask. And that sort of revised the way I thought about how to use technological tools in teaching. So I set aside my usual attitude about when pigs fly and thought, well, okay, if I had to do this, what would I have to do in order to make it happen? And so I set to work trying to discover what the limitations would be and what we wanted to do to offer a really good, sound public speaking curriculum to the students. We worked with an individual in the university who was a liaison to the Community College of the Air Force and to the online CLEP exams. And we looked at what their requirements were for public speaking classes. They, they wanted students to have free speeches. They could either send videotapes or audio tapes. It could not be a class in interpersonal communication. It could not be a small group communication class. It had to be public speaking. And so I began to think about what public speaking meant in an online, technological, diverse, and global world. 
world. You know, companies now don't always send their representatives to conferences. They use some kind of technological innovation to bring people together in cyberspace. And I thought, well, if we did that with a public speaking class, what would we end up doing? And I wanted a course that I thought was good for our students and not just meeting the limitations that were imposed by CCAF and CLEP. So we came up with an eight-week course. There are four speeches that students have to give in weeks two, four, six, and eight. They really like the fact that there's an interval. In the off weeks, one, three, five, and seven, there's a quiz based on the material that they view online. And every week there's a discussion board question that deals with topics such as what are their fears and concerns and their hopes for their first speech, what would they do to change their second speech, what's the difference between speaking to inform and speaking to persuade, what great speakers have they seen, what poor speakers, and that sort of thing. They tell me that it keeps them busy through the eight weeks, but uh, we think it provides them with some excellent background in public speaking online. I'm sure you have encountered quite a few technological issues. What have they been and how did you actually overcome them? Well, my first impulse was to tell students, okay, simply upload your video into the classroom. What I discovered was if students could do that with a file size that took about three minutes. Well, the first speech is a two to four minute speech. The second speech is a three to five minute speech. So what they began to encounter was the fact that the speeches would not upload because of the size limitation. And students began to write me emails and say, can I send you a CD with my speech on it? Or can I send you a thumb drive with my speeches? And what that meant was that the course would be over before I would get a CD that had four speeches on it. So there was no opportunity for me to provide them with feedback between speeches because rather than dribble them out to me, they wanted to put them together on one. And these things were piling up and stacking up and the mail was coming, you know, hot and heavy there uh, almost every day for a while. And eventually one bright student said, well, listen, I couldn't upload it, so I uploaded it to YouTube and here's the link. And I thought, wow, I hadn't even thought of that. So that became the standard practice almost immediately. I told students, here's what we should do. Go to YouTube, create an account for yourself, upload your speech, and then put the link in the classroom somewhere in the assignments. Almost immediately, other students began to say, well, we want to see each other's speeches. We don't want to just have you see them. We want to see what our fellow students are doing because they also have a very active discussion board presence. And they talk about the things that they encounter, the issues that they encounter, and they help one another in that way. So naturally, a direct outgrowth of that would be to be able to see each other's speeches. About that time, I became aware of the fact that YouTube and Google and Facebook, and there's another one students upload to rather regularly. They don't use Google anymore because Google doesn't take videos anymore. But at any rate, there's an embed code on YouTube that students can copy and paste right into our classroom on the discussion board. And that way, everyone can see everybody else's speeches. And it's at the point now that I tell students, if you upload this under assignments only, and I'm the only one that can see it, I won't grade it until until you repost it on the discussion board so all of your student peers can see it as well. They actually do comment on each other's work. Now, my purpose, of course, is to tell them what good things they're doing and what they need to improve. But with the students, I tend to find that they always manage to accentuate the positive and tell each other, what a great job you did. I learned something that I didn't know before. And they need to hear that as well, because one of the primal issues with any public speaking class is that people fear that worse than death and taxes. They get terrified of speaking in public. And so I'm glad to have them validate each other when they speak. Who are your students <laughs> and <laughs> yeah. who, who takes the class? 
We started offering this class in a couple of instances just to see what we would learn about it, what issues and what limitations we would have to overcome. But the students who take the class are primarily military students who are working on their associate's degree with the Community College of the Air Force. Now, the CCAF doesn't really exist as an institution. It's a methodology by which active duty military students can get an associate of arts degree. And they can do that at any institution that offers a class that's in their list of requirements. And many of my students are very vocal about the fact that they have put off this class until the very end because they wanted to find a way to do it. Or, well, actually, they wanted to avoid it, first of all. But then they realized that we offer an online class that doesn't require them to actually go to a classroom in a bricks-and-mortar institution on the weekend or at night or whatever the case may be. They can sort of do this asynchronously at their own leisure so long as they hit certain deadlines that we have spread out over the eight weeks of the course. I hear a couple of recurring comments from students. One is, well, when I started this class, I thought it would be really easy. It would just be a breeze. They immediately say, but this was really tough. I learned a lot, and I have learned to overcome some of the fears. The second sort of thing that they say is, I thought it would be easier to talk to a camera than it would be to talk to a group of people. But some find out that it's actually more difficult to talk to a camera because there's no human presence. And I always tell students, invite someone in. I don't care who it is. Invite colleagues, invite family, invite friends, whoever you would like to have and who has time available to sit with you and listen. I have seen speeches where cats and dogs have appeared on screen, not because the student preferred it, but because the animals were there. I've seen children and heard children in the background, and that's perfectly fine. The only thing that I tell them that they ought not to do is leave the TV on in the background when they're speaking. So that's the only issue that I ever find that's a little annoying. But kids I like and animals are fine, and so long as they don't get flustered, I don't get flustered. Could you actually provide a little more detail on how the course is structured? Well, we have an eight-week class. There are four speeches, as I said. Two of those are speeches to inform. One is a speech to persuade. The final speech, the longest one, requires them to include visual aids in the class or in the speech, and they actually have to integrate the visual aid. They can't just simply upload it into the assignments area and say, this is the visual aid that I would use if you could see me use it. And I always tell them, well, I want to see you use it. In the off weeks, we have quizzes based on the material that they study online with thinkwell.com who provides our online content for public speaking and then each week they have an activity on the discussion board so they have to post an initial response to the questions that are asked and then they must respond to at least two other students and sometimes students will respond to more than that because they get interested in an idea and they share with one another how they can overcome some of those issues and to me I think that's really one of the most important elements of the course is that ability to share between students and I'm always there to give them guidance and answers but sometimes they'll ask me technical questions questions that I don't have answers to. By the end of the course, once they have concluded all of those four speeches, oh, and I should also mention that I require them a few days before the actual speech is presented, they must submit an outline, a full sentence outline. They have to identify the introduction, the conclusion. They have to identify their transitions. I want them to include their supporting material and specific evidence. 
I like them to write a purpose statement that really talks about the response they want from the audience. By the end of the speech, I want my audience to donate blood or I want my audience to consider traveling to Guam for a vacation. It's amazing the topics that they come up with. And then I want them to identify their thesis sentence. The, the one sentence, if they had to boil their whole speech down to a single sentence, could say only one thing, what would that be? And make that a clear, complex, declarative sentence that embodies the essence of their speech. It's really quite a lot of stuff that I ask them to do, and many times they find that it's more rigorous than they thought it would be, but that's good. The response is usually, thanks for providing a great online experience, a great online class. I'm glad I didn't have to go do it on Friday night or on Saturday in a classroom somewhere. I could do it here and I could do it at leisure. And uh, one of the exciting things about this, too, is that the students are scattered all over the world. Now, you might think a student in Kandahar province or in Baghdad wouldn't have time, but when they're not on patrol or on duty, time passes very slowly and students find that, hey, I may as well be studying and here's a class I can take online and I can do it from here. So we get an amazing amount of visual aids sometimes from students who are in other parts of the world and they all meet in my classroom and they talk about the issues that are important to them, although they don't usually divulge too much information that they're not supposed to talk about and we understand that too. What an incredibly valuable course. I learn a great deal from my students, about as much as they learn from me in certain respects. Now, the course is obviously entirely online. Is there a textbook? We have partnered with thinkwell.com to provide online course content. First thing that I saw from Thinkwell was a series of CDs about public speaking, and so I told our chief librarian that I would like to use those. And by the time we made the arrangements with thinkwell.com, they said, well, we're not sending out CDs anymore. We have everything online. We'll give you a link that you can place right in your classroom. And then students could log in to uh, the specific course that they're enrolled with your university and then they can have access to the content. And what they provide is a series of videos of public speakers and public speaking educators talking on video about the issues that they are covering in that particular instance but they're also demonstrating the techniques. And it's really kind of funny because sometimes the students will say to me, well, this particular speaker I noticed used so many vocalized pauses. So they actually begin to pick up the content that we want them to pick up. They're, they don't have to read a book. They can see it done and see it enacted. And occasionally I get comments from students who say, well, I would really like to have had a textbook. But there are transcripts of those videos on the website, and there are also short quizzes that students can use to check themselves and there are outlines of issues that students can read about. So there is some reading material but most of it is really just experiential information and uh, that seems to provide them with a good deal of stuff. At first I made them watch everything and then afterwards I realized in eight weeks there are some parts that don't pertain. We don't do anything with small group communication because we offer a class in small group communication. So we don't use that content in the public speaking class and then I have learned to pick and choose what I think is most important and kind of resequence that for our students so that before they have to turn in their first outline, they know what an outline is and what my expectations are. or They know what inter the purpose of introductions, transitions, and conclusions actually are. What's the importance of nonverbal communication, their facial expressions and their gestures, and even such things as what do they wear when presenting a speech. And some students, for example, who are on duty, they take us outdoors. They show us equipment that you could never bring into a classroom but we go out and look at, you know, large generating uh, trucks that are generators, and this is what I do 
in my active duty with the military and this is what I operate and here's how it works and here's what it does and it's very informative and to me it's always exciting because as I say I learn a great deal from the students that way. Well, what's next for the class and the program? I'm sure you have given a lot of thought to it. The class has sort of evolved over a period of time. As we faced the technological issues, it occurred to me that students were finding solutions to some of the problems that we encountered. And so I'm always on the lookout for the next thing that some bright student is going to be able to share with me. The first time I saw a speech embedded in the classroom, I realized that instead of putting up the links that took students out of the class, classroom, I could actually have them embed the speeches directly into the classroom so that nobody had to go anywhere. And so that became the next method of practice. I had mentioned earlier that we made them put up the links to YouTube, but that takes us out of the class. I try to make it as self-contained as possible so that students can be in class. I look for students who have new technological innovations or introduce me to new on-site web content that will help them in any way. So I've had students who use their cell phones to create their speeches. They don't have a webcam, they don't have a video cam, but their cell phone will do what they want it to do. Sometimes when they are uploaded, though, it's kind of funny because they've turned it sideways and it looks like the student's probably standing on the equator from where I'm sitting. So, <laughs> But uh, those are technological limitations, and I told them, so long as I can see you and hear you, I'm fine with that. I can turn my head sideways, too. So I keep thinking about the next generation of technological tools, and rather than being kind of scared of those tools like some people sometimes are, you know, it's easy for us to get locked into a system and say, okay, now we've got it, now we're set. But as soon as you get to that point, something else is going to happen. There will be some new technological innovation that will be even more useful and better. So I'm always on the lookout for that. I have to admit that I have not been overly active in uploading video myself. And so when students ask me questions, I send it back to the other students and say, what is your experience? Can you help with this issue? Recently, we acquired a flip camera, and so I'm going to begin my response to student speeches, not just with a written comment, but with an actual, this is me, you can see my face, I'm telling you what I think you did really well, and I'm also going to tell you what I think you can do to improve. And that way, it can be, uh, each student can get a specific set of things that they should work on, and it's not the least bit generic. So who knows, what the, whatever technological innovations come along, will make use of them if they uh, enhance the student experience. Excellent. Dr. Coram, you have provided us with so much information on a topic that many of us have no knowledge and been invaluable. Well, when I started this in 2006, there was maybe one other university that had uh, an online public speaking class. There was a textbook for it, and in that class, they required students to send videotapes in by the end of the semester, and I sort of wanted to avoid that. Recently, I interviewed a candidate to come and teach communication classes for us online, and and he gave me a reference from one of our core market sister schools that we benchmark with. And I call that individual and he says, well, yes, I'm the chair of the public speaking class for this university. And we have a course that's entirely taught online. And I was a little caught off guard and I said, well, how do you do that? And what he did was virtually explain the same process that I went through. So my real bottom line message is if I can do this, anyone can do this. All it takes is that reordering of, of the way you think about what a public speaking class would be and what it means to be online in a world that's very global, that is diverse, and is technological world that we live in now.
again, if I can do this, anyone can, and I'm always available to help people if they are interested in setting up similar classes. Excellent. Dr. Quorum, could you share your contact information? You bet. I work for the American Public University System. You can go to our website, which is uh, www.apus.edu. And if you want to reach me directly, my email address at work is ecorum, E-C-O-R-U-M, at apus.edu. And I love to share my expertise and experience with others if they can find anything of use with it. Dr. Coram, thank you so much. This is Dr. Marilyn Gardner with the United States Distance Learning Association. And if you would like more information about USDLA, you can find us at www.usdla.org. Thank you very much and have a great day. This podcast is brought to you by Nova Southeastern University's Fischler School of Education and Human Services. The Fischler School has the largest graduate school of education at an accredited university, serving more than 14,000 students each academic year in some 55 cities across the United States, plus approximately 40 other countries. The Fischler School of Education and Human Services is dedicated to the enhancement and continuing support of teachers, administrators, trainers, and others working in related helping professions throughout the world.